This episode of the Ringer NBA show is brought to you by Miller Lite. Look, here at the Ringer, we have our disagreements, but there shouldn't be any debate about this. Miller Lite is the great tasting light beer with only 96 calories and 3.2 grams of carbs. That's fewer calories and half the carbs of Bud Light. So there's really nothing more to talk about. If you want to have a real argument, we'll hear it. Until then, stick with Miller Lite. Miller Lite, hold true. NBA show. I'm Chris Vernon. Joining me as he does every Tuesday, but we're recording it late on a Monday night after we just watched game four of the Eastern Conference Finals is Kevin O'Connor from the ringer.com, aka Kevin O'Bomber, aka Kevin O'Concert, Kevin O'Conflict, aka Kevin O'Chatter, <laughs> Kevin O'Draft Chatter. What? <laughs> what, <we>, what we heard <laughs> in Chicago. I woke up to an article by Kevin O'Chatter this morning. Oh my God. Chris, yeah. what's up? What's going on, man? How Everything everything's good. I uh I did not feel like I just watched a game that the Celtics won three of four quarters. Yet you look at the box score and they won the last three quarters, but they got absolutely buried in quarter number one. And I think, what was it, seven? Maybe it was eight or seven was the closest that they got in the entire game. I so desperately wanted there to be a highly competitive basketball game. And there was a couple moments in this one where I thought it was going to get, you know, maybe maybe they're getting back into it. They they had played what you, you, you felt like the Cavaliers had really dominated the game. Um, but a shot here, shot there, maybe, maybe all of a sudden you're in a two possession game, but it never really got to that moment. And then, uh, and then of course, LeBron hit the dagger when it mattered most. Um, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, I saw you tweet about this. I, I'm sorely missing highly competitive playoff basketball you know i mean we got it for three quarters (laughs) we got we got a good game for three quarters it just so happens that it was a a big difference because of that first quarter chris um it's amazing how this game i I know harala bob tweeted about this on twitter but like lebron james scored 44 points and it was maybe the most quiet 44 points i can ever remember lebron scoring he was i mean it's just a testament to his greatness in a way that it feels quiet because we're used to him being so amazing um but he he was remarkable tonight scoring uh, 44 points on 17 of 28 shooting and really did it from all all areas of the floor like t- like he typically does Here's the one thing, though. We can always count on him being great. It's just a matter of how great. I mean, generally, he's like we we can pretty well pencil him in for being great. It's these other guys. And earlier in the series, I know there was a sentiment that this could be a series where the role guys are like the the old adage that role guys are better at home. Like they couldn't be more true. Like George Hill has been really good. Um, in these games in Cleveland, Jr. and, and J- Tristan Thompson and Larry Nance too. Like, well, Thompson they're, they're getting it from their bigs. Thompson has been, I mean, outstanding. Really, I mean, he is contesting stuff at the. He just he was terrible all year. It's the craziest thing. He has really showed up. Um, and, and has like been only, a force. only amazing versus Al Horford. Really, it seems. I thought he was, I mean, he was good at the tail end of the Pacer series too. Yeah, remember? He was. Yeah. yeah when, he Le- was. 
when LeBron called upon them, and it was funny in his post-game interview with Doris Burke, he spoke of all of the minutes that those guys have logged together in big spots. And so, you know, that there's been these acquisitions, yet, you know, it's Thompson and it's JR and it's Corver and these guys that he feels super comfortable with. Um, and he said, and George Hills played in a lot of big games and I played against him in a lot of big games. It was weird. I don't think he, I don't think he mentioned Kevin at all, weirdly in that, <laughs> in that entire monologue that he put on. The one guy that has not been a part of this that I thought did actually have a sneaky big impact was Nance because I felt like Boston had some momentum and I don't know about you, but it felt like Nance made like a lot of big plays in his 10 minutes. He was just always crashing the boards. He was, um, you know, obviously he got the block right at the rim. Um, he got a three point play on his one uh, field goal that he made. He was, and I don't know, I thought he was like super active, brought a lot of energy to the table and kind of made sure that that lead grew rather than deteriorate when he was in. So that was kind of interesting because he had been in witness protection early in the series. Yeah, I mean, and we talked about this last Tuesday or last Monday night, whenever yep. it was, where, yep. where I mean, maybe Ty Lue plays Tristan Thompson more, and then maybe if that works well, you play Larry Nance, and that's kind of what's happened, right? I mean, Larry yep. Nance only played 10 minutes, but it was... 10 super impactful minutes for the Cavaliers hit the hit, you know, crashing the glass. As you said, had the two blocks. I, I thought Cle- Cleveland has done a really good job integrating their bigs. They, they hit Tristan Thompson a couple times. I know, I think it was in the fourth quarter, Kevin love on the short roll. When Boston's defense comes over to rotate, they're just dumping it off to Thompson and he's putting the ball in or, or drawing a foul. They're doing a really good job integrating their bigs on offense. And then as a whole, Thompson, Nance, Everybody on that team really is just playing with greater effort on the defensive end of the floor. Isn't it amazing, Chris, what good effort does for defense? It it is, and I'll be honest with you, I'm surprised that Boston didn't get it coming out of the box because I would have viewed this if I'm them. It's Listen, it's not a must-win because you know um, that if you can catch a Game 7, you get it in your home arena, but they can't be dicking around like that. Like now they're in a spot where they've got to win two out of three versus LeBron James. And you got a lot better chance if you get four cracks at that, at getting, you know what I mean? If you've got to get, I'm saying if you got one more win and you got three more games to get one more win, um, you know, if, if they could have somehow won tonight. But so I would have, I would have viewed this, I don't know, with a lot more urgency than seemingly they did. That's what I'd say. I, I, I don't know if I feel the same. I, I, I think I think it was really a, a pretty evenly matched game for three quarters. It, it's just in that in that first quarter, I thought really it was their offense. Like they took a heck of a lot of mid-range jumpers early in the clock. They were taking some really wild threes as well. Uh Jaylen Kevin, Brown they gave up thirty four points. I they know, gave up I, I know, thirty I know. four points. I know, I know. But part of part of that is because of your your poor offense leading to either transition or leading to early offense for Cleveland, where they're getting into their sets earlier rather than having to take it out from under the rim. They were they were taking some really bad shots in that first quarter. And you're right, like it's defense as well, but 
I, I think that their offense is really the big issue, in my opinion. Like for towards the middle of the quarter, it was just really, really bad for them in that quarter. It's like they weren't really running anything, it seemed. But they were also a defense that has been so good and had been on a string. And that just I mean, sixty-eight was the most points they've had put up against them in a half. So I mean, yeah, they scored a lot more in the second half. Their defense still stunk. I mean, they gave up 68 points by halftime, and you saw they abandoned their... That'll be interesting to see if that carries over. And was the Cleveland 21- and 22-point quarters a function of some complacency because you're a team playing with a big lead, and so you simply don't have that same urgency? Or is it possible that that adjustment uh, where they stopped switching, they just said, stay home, right? Because this is breaking down defensively over and over again. And so did that maybe, you know, now start to swing things? Did they, I don't know. Do you think they might've found something in that second half? Because clearly there was a major difference in point output. I mean, you're talking about giving up 68 in the first half and giving up only 43 in the second half. I mean, it's not easy. It's really not easy. Even when they were trying to do that, Chris, as you mentioned, like less switching, trying to just fight through the screens. They, there's still a lot of times where they Cleveland was still able to get a mismatch on Terry Rozier mm-hmm. all, all game and really throughout the entire playoffs. Right, we're seeing the Rockets do it against the the we're seeing the Rockets do it against the Warriors by trying to attack Steph Curry. We're seeing it vice versa with the Warriors trying to attack James Harden. We're seeing Cleveland just attack Terry Rozier possession after possession. I mean, put it this way, like Tristan Thompson. They're feeding him against Terry Rozier of all people. Tristan Thompson, like that's viewed as a mismatch just because of the sheer height difference. It's just really fascinating to see each team and then Boston attacking Kevin Love as well uh, when they can. Um, Just attacking the weakest link because of the way defenses are switching. Um, It's interesting to me and I do think Boston does need to do a little bit. They do need to try to fight a little bit more, not to switch so easily, because um, that's been so important for Cleveland's offense. They're either drawing a double or just shooting over a guy because they're just bigger than him. And I think they're going to go back and watch this game tape, and they're going to be sick to their stomach because they had at least 10 missed layups or dunks. At least. At least I'll, in the game. I mean, they just I'll, they missed so many shots at the rim. They, they they shot 19 of 36 within eight feet. They shot 19 of 34 in the restricted area, which is really, really bad. Like they were getting to the lane. They were getting to the basket, wow. which is exactly what you want. 40% of their shots came from the restricted area. That's pretty good. But they just were missing dunks, missing layups, as you said. It really was a game like that, Chris, wasn't it? Where it just felt like a lot of missed opportunities for Boston, whether it was those missed layups or missed dunks, or even some of the open threes that they had when they when they seemed to have momentum, a chance to cut it to closer than seven. But they just were missing shots at times where they absolutely needed to. You know, and their young guys got, I mean, they, they played aggressive. They were going to the basket and they were attacking. They, but like you said, the numbers tell a story. They weren't converting. So at the end, you've got Jalen Brown going 10 of 23. You've got Jason Tatum going 5 of 13. I mean, that's 15 for 36 between them. And you know this, like at least two or three of Browns were at the very end where, like, who cares? Like, it didn't even matter. Right, he made that yeah, last uh, one. Uh, you know, he he dunked two, I think, at the end of the game. 
I think, you know, it's, it's a little bit of both. I, I put this in ringer slack during the game. Um, at one point I, I said how like, it seemed like Boston needs to start feeding Tatum. Like he's a veteran go-to scorer. Like they just need to start feeding him the ball and use him in that role. But on the other hand, Tatum was getting some touches and he was passing on some chances too. So I think it's a little bit of both where Tatum needs, needs to just absorb that role. He needs to be a guy, you know, getting more fed more opportunity, but he also needs to take it when it's there. And same with Al Horford too. Um, I would like to see Boston feed him more than 13 shots. And granted, like that's, you're fine with that. I think those are your two best scorers, Jason Tatum and Al Horford. I think you need to get them as many shots as you can, um, especially in, in a series, especially when Cleveland is hustling on defense like this. Kyle Korver with two blocks, a strip of Jalen Brown. That he he was fantastic on both ends for Cleveland for sure. And I and I also say this. It, it, uh, I don't want it's not an excuse, right? Because you can't get buried in the first quarter and then be trying to make it up the entire game, which is exactly the position Boston put themselves in. But Cleveland did. It was not running a layup line. They hit so many jumpers in that first half. I mean, so many. I don't know what the number will be at the end. I mean, I, I'd love to see the breakdown of the first quarter. And and certainly, you know, the, if if your idea is, hey, make sure you turn LeBron into a jump shooter. Like, I mean, and we saw this, uh, that he did it in the last series where there are some nights where he's just going to be hitting the step back and he's going to be like, there's nothing you can do, right? You're wanting to, that's, that's your, if you're picking between, uh, two evils, that's the one you want. But if he's burying them, forget it. You get a game like tonight where it's just totally unstoppable. And, and it seemed like the other guys too. I mean, they were just really, I think if you're Boston, I think Brad Stevens was even saying this. I kind of like what we're doing and just stay the course on this because I think he's probably watching and going, boy, this isn't, it's not easy to be shooting over 60% when you're taking as many jumpers as they are, but that's, that was the case. It's funny because I just, I did pull up the numbers just now, Chris, and in the first half, five of LeBron's seven makes were jumpers outside of the restricted area. And then in the second half, conversely, it was the opposite seven of his makes were in the restricted area to only two jump shots. So it was really completely different halves for LeBron James and the way he was scoring the ball from the field. Um, yeah. I mean, look, so sometimes basketball really is that simple, isn't it? Where you're yep. making shots, right? Sometimes yes. it really is just like that. Well, it's the whole team too, right? And, and again, I mean, you can't say enough about, I can't believe Thompson is such a force. It's it's it, it was reminiscent tonight of watching the series when they were when they beat the Warriors. He was so essential to what they were doing way back when. Um, and it was routinely double doubles. Like he was playing big minutes and double doubles. And there were like massive portions of the season. He wasn't even like playing this year. And now he's like double double Tristan Thompson again. You figure it out. You, you know, it's like. It's stunning in the sense that he hasn't done it all season long, but we also talked like we talked about this before, you know, like during during the start of the series where it's like, well, maybe Thompson gives him a chance, yeah. right? Because I mean, because look, Thompson hasn't been the same guy all season long, but there's no denying that in past playoff series against the Celtics in the past when Horford was win, with the Hawks, Thompson has historically given the Celtics and Horford trouble. And we're seeing the difference that he can make in this matchup where 
Boston just has a hard time against keep it, keeping Thompson off the boards, keeping him away from with those dump off passes, like I mentioned earlier, off the short roll. Look, and it's also just the fact that his defense has been quite good as well with his ability to either switch, play pick and of a traditional pick and roll defense. He, overall, he's just been tremendous for Cleveland. Okay. What, is there any other explaining except for Boston is just, we know the record, we know the stats. It is very hard to understand how you can be such a radically different team home versus road. But that has been the case virtually the entire playoffs. Um, I think they've won one road game, right? I think they've won one. Um, they've won one road game these entire playoffs. And you see, I mean, they buried them in game one and won by 25. They beat them, ended up beating them by, I think, 13 in game two. I mean, they're both double-digit margins. And then they get beat by 30. And then they get beat, like, tonight, it ends up being nine was the final margin, but you kind of felt like, you know, if Cleveland would have, they, they coasted to the nine point win. If you would have told them, you know, we'll give you a hundred bucks each. If you win this game by 15 to 20, they could have done it. Um, <laughs> they took their foot off the gas right at the end there. Yeah, they I did. I, I don't know, man. At the, at the very but, but, end, after LeBron hit that three, they just coasted the rest of the way. And the last sure, couple of buckets, yeah, the, yeah, that's sure, what I'm saying. The last fine. couple of buckets, okay, the Celtics fair. made, who cared? Right. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, they, so they that's why the, the, they had two dunks at the end of the game or two layups rather. Yeah. So the margin ends up being a non double digit margin, but we know that's not necessarily indicative of this particular. It wasn't a close game. Like it never got close, like to where it was really felt like it was in the balance. Every time they got it to seven or eight, it ballooned back up. Um, What do you make of it? How is this possible? I get it with the Warriors and the Rockets. I just think the Warriors are way better than the Rockets. Um, And that when they they are given to complacency, um, unless they feel threatened, and then when they focus and they ratchet it up, they can bury anybody they want to. But with Boston and Cleveland, what do you make of this? How can you be so good at home and so bad on the road through four games? Both teams. It's, we- it's weird. It's weird. That's for damn sure. I mean, it's like a, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm pretty sure it's like a, a 20 points per 100 possession difference for the Celtics, <laughs> at least. Um, home <laughs> home versus road. It's kind of remarkable in a way. Um I mean, it's kind of a symptom with young teams sometimes that they're just better at home than they are on the road. But part of it to me, Chris, is just the fact that Cleveland is flat out playing harder on defense. They're playing their big man, their bigs with Tristan Thompson and Larry Nance. I think it's more so the game plan has shifted a little bit for Cleveland, more so than the home versus road thing, though it's certainly a factor. Boston seems a little bit tighter on the road than they than they have at home, and there's no denying the Celtics Celtics crowd, TD Garden, is absolutely ridiculous. LeBron mentioned that in his postgame inter- interview to Doris Burke as well. Um, it's all a factor, but I, I think mostly it's Cleveland's game plan shifting that has made the difference in these last two games compared to the first two. I think your first point makes sense. You know, that young guys can be more, uh, you know, spurred on by the cheers, honestly. Like, I mean, what other reason is, like, how is Terry Rozier dropping, like, 26 like it seems like damn near every time they're playing at home and you see them I mean, their crowd really gets into it and they got a bunch of young players on their team that uh, could on Terry, 
Could I'm Terry, though, affected. like the, Cleveland is, I mean, Ohio is home for Terry Rozier, too, though. Right. Like, he's from Youngstown, Ohio. So maybe for him, it's a little different where, like, maybe he's pressing playing in front of, you know, family and friends and whatnot. I'm just um, saying, young guys, yeah. when they get up and make a for big sure. play and, and flex to the crowd, it's like all of a sudden they're like filled with this crazy confidence, <laughs> right? There ain't nobody yeah. to flex to if you make an awesome play on the road, right? <laughs> Sure. And you see yeah. them, you see, I'm just saying that's a lot more common. I mean, hell, you even see it with some veteran teams. You see that game last night, good grief, when the Warriors really got going. I mean, that was oh, absolute yeah. pandem. I mean, you were there. It's pandemonium. And they're it playing built- to the crowd. Steph's playing to the crowd. They're all yeah. yelling and hollering. The only, the, only, the only way I can describe it last night is that it seemed like every shot Steph made, like every time that ball went through the hoop, it was as if someone was pressing the volume up button on, yeah. on, on like the controller for the crowd. Like every shot made, the crowd got louder. It was insane to witness. Well, not to mention that it comes through on TV so much because that place is so small, right? Like the, in terms of the way that is built, I read some article that like you could, it was something like you could drop the entire, like the, the contents of where the fans are and the court is in that particular arena, and of course they're getting the new one, but that you could take that and you could like set it inside the lower bowl of Chicago Stadium, right? Or like some of these other arenas that are played in. It's just because they're right on top of you. There's not. Some of these arenas you see there is a, a massive distance between the court and wherever the first row is, and that's just... That's just not the case. I mean, hell, even when they showed Marv Albert and Chris Webber and whatever, it's like they're hunkered down in the midst of 2,000 people, you know? Like they're just like they barely got their little table set up. And it's a there's cool people arena. hanging I mean, all over I, them. I like that arena a lot. I can't, I can't figure out how to get out of that place, but um, I can't, I, I have no idea where I'm going. I'm totally lost in that arena. No idea how to leave. I was, I was the last person to leave last night. I was totally lost. I watched your Instagram story. Um, <laughs> and I, 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 I mean that, come on, Kevin, that's pathetic. You were like walking what are you around talking about nah, well, it was, I'm saying that you were there at the very end and you were like, and I got done writing my, column and i'm walking around dude there was nobody there there wasn't even like a friggin worker there there was no security guard i'm like what are you doing in a totally vacant arena there yeah because i I wrote the whole article there i clipped all the video by myself there i i didn't go home first or or rather (laughs) to the hotel first or anything but okay so here's the thing (laughs) i can't believe i'm sharing this story (laughs) i can't believe i'm sharing this but after i put that video up on my instagram story just to give some background like chris said i said oh i'm uh, last one to leave didn't realize it i thought people would be there it was only like 10 o'clock but anyway so after that i called my lift ride right to pick me up and and I walk out the the place to the exit where I think you're supposed to go to the lift area from what I remember last year at the finals and it's closed like I can't get out that way so I go through a different exit and so I go through this different exit because it's pretty close to the area where the pickup spot is and there's like no way to get through the fence like there's no there's no gate there's no gate to get through <laughs> so <laughs> I climb the fence. No. <laughs> yeah. Kevin I climbed the fence. To, to, yeah. I escaped Oracle Arena. 
Yeah. <laughs> Wait, because, no, because, I... <laughs> cause I wasn't going to go back inside to find another exit. Cause my lift driver was already there. So I climbed a fence <laughs> to escape Oracle arena. <laughs> okay. Hold on. I've got so many questions about this. Kevin O'Climber. All right. How high was the fence? Not high at all. It was a very short fence, which doesn't seem safe at all. Like okay. it was the type, yeah, like I could step up onto something, then get my leg up on top of the fence and then go over. Like, it wasn't a super high fence. I don't think I could do that with my backpack and all that. Was this fence made of metal? Yes. It was a metal fence? Yep. Okay. And you, as you are scaling the metal fence, does your lift driver <laughs> see you? No. Um, I gave, I, <laughs> no, I gave him a call before I climbed the fence. I was like, hey, just let you know I went out the wrong exit, but I'll, I'll be there shortly. I'm, I'm on my way there now. <laughs> Knowing that I'm about to scale a fence. If he would if he would have seen you, he would have thought he was picking up a robber. Right? Like who is who is jumping a fence from Oracle Arena with a backpack? Like ten o'clock at night, the, I know. <laughs> why didn't you instagram this this is the most interesting thing that happened uh because because i didn't dude like i didn't want to break the phone or anything like that if i fell you know what i'm saying if i had fallen and and i broke my phone because i was like i'm gonna put this on instagram to share it to everybody so they can all see it i was like no what you should have done is you should you should at least taken a picture of the fence and say i have to jump this to get to my lift right just so we can I just wanted to get back to my hotel, Chris. That's all my only objective. I wanted to get home. Oh, and this is so sad too, because you were all you were all dressed up. I saw you. You were like all dressed up, real nice. So there you are in your you're in your dress clothes Come with on. a you're in a sport coat, having to jump a fence. Dude, I I, f- I feel really proud of myself. I feel really because look, I could have went back inside and searched for an exit, but I was like, you know what? I'm gonna just scale this fence. And it, and it worked. Got to my driver. <laughs> wasn't late. Escape from Oracle Arena. Yeah. I, hopefully, to, hopefully Tuesday night goes better than that. I'm, I'm going to try. Definitely going to try to leave earlier. Featuring Kevin O'Climber. <laughs> Unbelievable, I'm, Kevin. I'm, I'm so, ask, I'm so I'm proud of you. Warriors too. PR for directions this time. I can't believe that you were the last person in the entire arena and you get lost every time you're in the arena. I don't know why I shared that story. <laughs> I'm glad but you I'm did. I'm happy I did. Yeah. I I'm had to tell did. somebody. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I had to get that off my chest. <laughs> what, hey, you, you know what? Um, You know what can usually help in those situations is like uh, friends. Maybe you could have yeah. like had somebody there that we like. Maybe that's why you don't want to be literally the last person to leave, I, so that I, you could say, "Hey, how do you get out of this place?" All right. So here's the thing, okay? <laughs> right. So they're in in this media area, right? They have this one big media section where they have the food and all that, and then they have a small media section. This is the place I was sitting, and the whole time I was there, there was maybe only like two or three other people in the area. One of them was like a camera guy. Okay, so I don't know where like the other writers were. I don't know where Sam Amick was. I don't know where Matt Moore was. I don't know where they were sitting. My guess is most people just went straight back to their hotel to write because I didn't see anybody after the locker room stuff was done. So I'm thinking people just left right away. Mm. And that's what I should have done. And that's what I'm going to do, I think, after game four tomorrow night, because, yeah, no, you need to make this alone. Alone in Oracle Arena is not ideal. <laughs> you need to. You need to. Hey, no, you need to make this a thing. Now, from now on, you just need to scale the fence every time you leave there. <laughs> 
Hey, say, hey, hey, you know what? No, grab one of them. Grab like Sam Amick or Matt Moore, whoever, and then uh, and then just wait like till everybody's ready to walk out and be like, I know a way. I know. And a then way. walk out there. Say so we got to just jump that fence, but I mean it's quick. All right, Kevin, we'll get right back to it in a minute. First, I want to tell everybody about ZipRecruiter. If you're hiring, every business needs great people and a better way to find them. Something better than posting your job online and just praying for the right people to see it. ZipRecruiter knew there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply for your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you find the next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNBA. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNBA. ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNBA. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. You know the the funny thing is I mentioned how there was like no no door there there was a door but like there's a gate but you it said like it was a type of gate it says press the button like you know, you know some gates you press a button right. for the gate to open I pressed the button and it didn't work All right let's get oh, back know, to man. All right yeah. uh, bef- before very I get dis- very, I, very disappointing I am going to jump back to the Warriors game but first Oh there's basketball As we're wrapping up <laughs> Cleveland and Boston do uh, do you now feel more like this uh, series is going to go six games or that this series is going to go seven games? I still feel like it goes seven. I think Celtics can push this to seven. And so it will, we will get the game seven and it will be Celtics win five, Cleveland win six, seven is in Boston. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I I thought that, I know some people might disagree, but I thought tonight this was, I think this was, uh, a big, big opportunity for the Celtics because you got to win two out of three against LeBron and you got to win a game seven against LeBron. Neither of those things are easy to bet against, mm, you know, not to bet, at all, Bet that they can not happen, at all. Right. So there's, there's no, there's no way around that now, unless you could somehow win on the road in Cleveland in game six. But again, now you're asking yourself to win an elimination game in his home arena. You know, so there's no great there's no great way to, you know, I mean, it's the reason he has been in the NBA finals every year for like the better part of a decade. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, there, there's there's no simple solutions against the king. Yeah. So, all right. So you think I, I, I'm with you on this. I mean, it feels like home teams will probably hold serve um, and that we will get uh, that we'll get a game seven. But the shame of that all is that feels very predictable. So hopefully something unpredictable happens in these next couple because these games, I have just been so disappointed. I really thought they would be super competitive. Hell, even the Toronto series, you know, those games weren't burials. In fact, I mean, we could certainly argue Toronto should have won two of those. 
right? So, I mean, they came down to the end and they were super exciting and everybody was talking about them. It felt like there was just no even chatter by the time we got to the fourth quarter of this game. Just taking the fun out of it because, well, I guess they were still down. They're still down by, you know, double digits going into the fourth. I think they were down 14 or whatever, 15. They had barely made some- any headway. I just want some good basketball, man. I know. Like, like, look, I mean, the past, ever since this entire month of May, really, the only good game we've pretty much had was game five, Boston, Philadelphia. Like, that, that's the first one that comes to mind. And then earlier in the round, Cleveland versus Toronto, game one was tremendous. Um, had a couple others early in, early in the second round series. But mm-hmm. ever since that, that game five between Boston and Philly, we haven't had any super competitive basketball games and i i'm having withdrawals chris and i'm worried that we're not going to get any the rest of the way unless um golden state and houston or cleveland and boston somehow starts giving us a fight because i don't know if we're going to get it in the finals no matter who makes it in the east golden state's going to kill these teams yeah i, I mean, mean that, that's that's what i'm afraid of like the, maybe the next month it's I just going to be a bunch of blowouts. No, the only thing you could count on is Golden State complacency, possibly, right? Because they have been prone to do that, to just mail in a game. And you see a radical difference in their effort, energy, and focus. And then when they decide to turn back up, you get what you got last night, which is just beyond devastating. Um, and they're so locked in defensively. And last night, obviously, they wrecked the the straight line drives of the uh, of the Houston Rockets, which uh, their offense is predicated upon those being able to take place Um, or else you've got a lot of standing around. Uh, I'll tell you this. I I read the Mike D'Antoni quote today saying that the pressure's all on Golden State. (laughs) I mean, I mean, that's a cool thing to say. But obviously, they're, it's over, over if it's Houston. And regarding the complacency and regarding, uh, and regarding the attention, I mean, don't you feel like Golden State, like this will be one where they, I'd be shocked if they're not like super locked in because they know if you win that game, you take game seven out of the equation, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what you're really, that's what you, and, and they should care about that. It's seemingly, they all, like, there are a lot of times where you're watching them and it's like, they just feel like they'll turn it up when they have to. And sometimes that's within the context of a game. Sometimes that's within the context of a series. Um, but I think with, you know, with their neck, with that next game, with game four, it feels like, I don't know, their antennas should really be up because, they know that they would, you know, if they if they drop that game, they're going to have to play a game seven in uh, in Houston. Not that they don't think they can win at Houston, but you're for sure taking it out of the equation if you can uh, if you can win to, if you can win game four. What do you think? That that I, I'm I'm still on the pressure comment, Chris. It's just a weird weird statement by Dan Tony like, yeah. to me. I mean, like. Kerr said today at practice, he's like, I hope the pressure's on us. We're we're better than when the pressure's on, but it's kind of on them too, right? Um, yeah. Houston needs to win this game tomorrow night. Uh, I mean, that, that goes without saying that they, they need to win this game to tie it two to two. Um, the, the trouble is, is 
I'm not sure what they can do from a schematic point of view differently. Um, I feel like they have a really good game plan. They're, they're attacking Steph on the offensive end of the floor. They're, they got inside the paint. They were getting layups. They just missed a lot. Game three, kind of like Boston did tonight. Um, they're they're switching on defense. They're forcing Golden State into getting super, super fancy with their off-ball cuts, and they're, they're forcing them into more isolations than they like to have. Houston has a really good game plan. Golden State's just better. Well, they're not a thousand points better. Come on, no, they're not. <laughs> I mean, they beat them. They beat them by a thousand in the last game. The, 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 this, look, that forty-one point difference. The game, Houston was better than that. Like it, the score wasn't indicative of of the quality of play, in my opinion. What? It wasn't a forty-one <laughs> point, dude. It, like what? I said, Houston. Houston got to the lane a lot. They were getting they were getting layups, and they just happened to miss. They still played a. They still made, still made things hard on Golden State, and it wasn't really until that avalanche by Stephen Curry in the second half and then the meltdown in the fourth quarter that the, the ste- separation was significant. They, they led by they they were down by only 9 to 13 points in the middle of the third quarter and you're going to say that's a lot, but it's really not. You can get you can dig yourself out of that hole in a, in a second. It, it wasn't like a massive blow up blow until Steph caught fire in that third quarter. And there's nothing you can do about that which speaks to Golden State's greatness when Steph is on, they're unbeatable. Well, they also lost the fourth quarter by 20 points. Yeah, they melted down after that. They they mailed it in. 85 888. I know this is this is this this hate this uh take is going to be so scorching that I want people to try to put on a uh, a mask if they can. I don't think you can beat Golden State scoring 85. <laughs> Oh God! I thought I was I was ready for a real take. I was ready. Come 85, on, eighty five points. Come on, that Come game on, was man. That game was closer than it than forty one. Okay, what, what what was Come it? On. Hey, what hey, Kev, what was it? Twenty five. It was a twenty five point game. Okay, all right. Okay, when there was seven minutes and five seconds left in the third quarter, I turned to Tommy Alter sitting right next to me from the ringer.com. And I said to him, I was like, Tommy, dude, like this game can get close quickly. It's only 13 points. Houston gets a couple of stops, hits a couple of threes, and we get a ball game here. That didn't happen because Curry went off. Oh, but, Kevin, Kevin, but, but, wish, hey, Kevin, a wishful thinking showed up. Your beloved, oh, your beloved, your beloved, you, you went to your beloved. How, how hey, you, are we you, arguing about oh, this? Oh, you know what? I hate Come this. On. Now that I'm thinking about this, I didn't even, I should have been more tender with you. You went to, you went to your team's funeral and then you had to oh, freaking jump please. a fence to leave. Your team got urinated on oh. and then you had to, then you couldn't even find your way out of the damn arena. You, the reason you were the last one in the arena, cause you were bawling your eyes out. Cause your team just got beat by 41 freaking points. <laughs> Mike, 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 Mike don't you think I'd be by 40? Oh it was God. closer than you think. And by the way, just on it a side was, note, oh, what is Tommy, what is Tommy, the great Tommy Alter doing slumming with you? This guy hangs out with like <laughs> Malcolm Gladwell and Jesus and Mero. He's sitting there talking to you during the game. He had to be in hell. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy's like a mover and shaker. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna act like a like a player post game. You're gonna have to ask you're gonna have to ask Tommy about that. No comment. Yeah, no comment. You're gonna no comment me. <laughs> no comment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so now the the thing is when when you're talking about the way they played the the, the way they played and um you you're not real sure of what adjustments they can make. It was 
you know, I said we joke, but it was a 41 point mark. I mean, they got absolutely throttled in that game. Um, what are the chances we see a very competitive game four? I am just looking for something to give me a sign that we will see some competition because we have been devoid of right now. If I, I'm going to pull up the line and see what the Vegas has got this. And obviously Vegas hasn't been able to put numbers. I guess the, the number tonight was pretty close. I think it was seven. Um, if I'm not mistaken. So the final margin ended up being nine. That was reasonably close to the number. Uh, yeah, it's, it's golden state eight and a half for the next game. Ish. In, in, in terms of adjustments, Chris, mm-hmm. um, you know, from a, Maybe it's with rotations. We talked about this in, in the Ringer Slack today. Me, Charks, uh, went back and forth on it a little bit. And maybe it's flipping the starting lineup. Maybe you start small with PJ Tucker at the five and then you go big towards the end of the caport and at the end of the quarter with Capella rather than doing it the way you're doing it now. I'm not sure that would work out. I mean, Rockets and uh, Warriors were tied up 22 to 22 with two minutes and 46 seconds left in the first quarter um, in game three. Uh, the starting lineup was perfectly fine with Clint Capella. I think it's m- maybe if you do that, it's more about that next stretch um, setting it up. So when Kevon Looney's out there for Golden State, that's when you have Capella out there um, rather than going small at that time. Um, but I'm not sure that would make much of a difference. I, I think with, with Houston, again, it's like we said this with, with Boston as well. They missed a ton of layups. They did not shoot the ball well at all inside. Um, shot below 50%, missed over half their their shots in the restricted area and within eight feet of the rim. And look, man, Daryl Morey said it in 2017, right? He he figured the only way you beat Golden State is with a barrage of three-pointers. That's the term he used, a barrage of three-pointers. And they didn't get that in games one and three. They did in game two. And maybe that's maybe the formula is exactly what Daryl said in 2017. You need a barrage of three pointers. Well, I just totally disagree. I mean, I think, and I've told you this many times, and the same thing goes with playing against Houston. If your name's not Golden State, you've got to make them uncomfortable and not let them play the kind of game where they can score 115 to 130 points on you. They are, they were uncomfortable. That's where we disagree on this. They, it's like, Golden what? State is getting ha- gold. Look, they scored 126. I know how stupid this sounds. They scored 126, but Houston's switching defense has forced Golden State into a lot more isolations than they're used to over, over double the amount. And not only that, they have to get so fancy off ball with some of their cuts with, with fakes, with jukes, with, with the off ball screen actions, with flare screens to get guys open because Houston's defense this is, uh, is forcing the, I, them into that. We have a, uh, we have a term for that in the South, uh, Kevin. It's called frontier gibberish. They oh have given goodness. up, they've given up a thousand I, points a game. I get it. Good yeah, grief. but that's, I get These it. Kids, they can't but, stop shit. I mean, because, what? because, because Stephen Curry went nuclear in oh, the third God. quarter because yeah, Kevin well, Durant, because Kevin Durant is one of the best isolation scorers in basketball. Because Gold State could beat you anyway, but that doesn't mean Houston didn't make it hard on them. What? Their offensive ratings like a hundred thousand. They they can't stop anybody. (laughs) Oh, Chris, I love you. I mean, even even James Harden, (laughs) they they they, that defense. I I saw how hard he made it on Sean Livingston, who's one hundred and fifty years old. (laughs) Sean Livingston is frigging crossing the guy over at the top of the key, and he's reaching for air. 
I get I mean, it. Yes. I want, I, listen, I, I know you're defending. I know you're defending <laughs> them. They have given up 119, 105, which was good, and 126 <laughs> so far in this series. That's what they've given up. I get it. It's been so hard on Golden State. Good grief. I <laughs> I mean, this like, hey, this this is this is like, uh, you know, uh, David Ortiz hitting 750 in the in the playoffs and then saying the Yankees pitchers really made him work. Like, what are you talking about? The guy's hitting 750 with 10 bombs. You get really made him work for those 750. Okay, tell I want you to tell me, Chris, what can Houston do better to stop Kevin Durant ISOs? To stop Stephen Curry unloading three-pointers from 35 feet. What can he do better in those situations? I dra- Listen, this is my opinion of what you have to do against Golden State. Number one, you drag that pace into the mud. I know you- what you're going to say. Like the Memphis Grizzlies did. <laughs> no, you know, guess who be- who is the team that has beaten them during this, this run? Who's um, the team? The Cleveland Cavaliers coming now, back go from look up, 3-1. Go look up at the scores. Go look at them. See what they gave up in that series. Give me, once it was three to one, how many points did Cleveland give up in those last three times that they won? When they won those three straight games, I think Golden State might have gotten to 100 one time. I realize it's a different incarnation when it's not, when it's Kevin Durant instead of Harrison Barnes. But that team won 72 games and they were devastating. And the way that Cleveland, so forget the the way that Cleveland was able to do it was because they slowed down that game. They limited the possessions and they played great defense and made those games where they were played in the nineties. They're played in the, you know, tick over a hundred points. What you can't do is beat them at their own game. That is suicide. And I'm mark my words, Boston or Cleveland, they won't have enough. But I guarantee you, they ain't gonna try to run with the Warriors. Um, Both of them are too smart. I don't. I don't know, man. Houston's playing at their pace they have all season long, and I mean, go Golden State could just beat you any single way. Like they are. Look, dude, they they are the team. All the people thought they were gonna be on July fourth, twenty sixteen, when Kevin Durant signed with them. They have. They are becoming that team where they can beat you. Any single way. They have an answer for everything on their team. Chris Paul isolation. Guess what? They, they have Clay Thompson who can defend him. They have Andre Godala. They have a bunch of switchable defenders. They have Kevon Looney who has turned into a, a really, really good, versatile big man for their team. They have an answer for absolutely everything. They have Draymond Green, one of, if not the best defensive players in the league, who, by the way, can stop Chris Paul just as much as he can, Clint Capella, because he defends bigs just as well as he does smalls. They they have an answer for everything on both ends of the floor. Like I said, even when Houston is putting them into situations, isolations, where they haven't really leaned on that a lot over the course of the season, they can still kill you because guess what? Houston does has done that the whole year with Chris Paul and James Harden, and they've done it better than anybody has done it in recorded history with synergy data. But Gold State can do that too if they want to, because they have Kevin Durant and Stephen freaking Curry. They can beat you any single way, man. They have lost uh, three games so far this postseason. 
Uh, they lost to San Antonio and they scored 90. They scored, uh, they lost at New Orleans and scored 100. And they lost at Houston and scored 105. Those are their three totals. And then obviously they have been over 110 in every other game that they have played so far in this postseason. So I would tell you that it is, yes, much easier said than done, but that is your chance. Your chance is keeping the score low. Because Good once luck. you get once you get into the range that you're talking about, I mean, they they won actually they won the elimination game against San Antonio ninety nine to ninety one, but at least San Antonio was in that game right before they ended up losing. Um, in the end, Good luck. No, Daryl Daryl Morey said it in 2017. This is what he said. This is the exact quote. <clears throat> We, all, we absolutely figured the only way we're going to beat them is with a barrage of three-pointers, and it's probably going to be a 124 to 120 affair if we're going to get past them. That's what it's going to have to be because there's, there's no answer for Golden State. They're going to score. They, it's just Houston really needs to elevate their offense. They need to make their layups. They need to make their threes because their game plan is already really good, in my opinion. They have a great game plan. Jesus Christ, they got beat by 41 points. <laughs> I mean, I can't believe this. I can't. Oh I can't. I can't. God. I can't even believe what I'm hearing. I really can't. <laughs> I mean, uh, boy, that is really. I've heard of trust in the process, it, but it, hey, your game plan is shit. If you lose by forty <laughs> points, your game plan. Your game plan is not the right oh, game plan. Hey, Jesus hey, Christ. here, hey, now that's my scorching take because obviously this is going to be highly controversial. <laughs> if you lose by forty, your God. game plan is crap, and you need to throw it away. If, if, if I don't know if there's anybody in the, in the hotel room next to me, but if, if they if there is, they're probably thinking I'm like arguing with my wife right now or something <laughs> over the phone. <laughs> mm. Speaking oh, of, geez. you know, hey, one of the big differences is obviously, <laughs> listen, in all seriousness, we talked about what they could do with a lineup or whatever. They need somebody else that off their bench to do something for them. And what we've seen is in the game that they won. They got awesome Eric Gordon, like six for nine from three, 27 point Eric Gordon. And then last night they get four for 13, two for eight from three, minus 33 next to his name for the game. I mean, minus 33 for Eric Gordon ain't going to cut it, my friend. Um, And the other thing is, obviously, and this needs to be brought up, Chris Paul has shot very poorly in this series. You know what I mean? Like he is... They they got to have great Chris Paul. And we saw flashes of that for sure in the Utah series. Those last two games, he looked like, you know, went in a time machine and and he's back playing for New Orleans. I mean, he had, what, I think 68 points in the last two games in that series. And he was just, I mean, he was the best guy for them. He was he was absolutely tremendous in those games. Yeah, just absolutely unbelievable, right? Just like he has, I mean, everybody joked about him never making the conference finals, but he's had a lot of big games, but um yeah, these these last two, ooh, really bad, Chris, huh? Yeah, rough stuff for uh cuz he's, you know, he's 11 for 30 from the field. I mean, that can't be. You know how much is predicated upon him and James. And so him being 11 for 30 in these last two games, and that's including a win. I mean, they won that, 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm giving him the win. I mean, he's eight for 17 in the first one. So if you go, you just add those up. Uh, the quick math is he's 19 for 47 for the series. I mean, that can't be, can't be Kev. So no, I mean, <clears throat> Some, something's off, right? I mean, I know there's some speculation out there that he's hurt or whatever, but, you know, at this point of the year, Steph, Steph Curry's dealing with something too, right? And, and he still lit it up. He still went nuclear even though he, I mean, we argued about that, whether that's Houston or whatever, but Chris Paul's got to be better no matter what it is. Um, he's, he, look, put it this way. In that game three, Clay Thompson blocked him twice. One of them was at the rim where it looked like Chris Paul had a step, Thompson blocked him at the rim. There's another time where it looked like Chris Paul was open for three. Thompson swatted his shot away. Draymond Green on a couple of occasions just steered him away from the rim. Chris Paul is going to be better. Just flat out needs to be better. He's, he, I think he can still be the second best player on a championship team, even at 33 years old. But right now, he looks like a 33-year-old point guard. Well, and the other thing is, listen, let's, let's, let's put a little bit on his uh, MVP running buddy because – Truth be told, like James Harden can't be 20 <laughs> points a game. He can't. He can't get you 20. He's got to be awesome every time. I'm saying if you have any chance to beat the Warriors. He can't be you know, 20, I, 20 point James Harden is, you know what I mean? He's, that's not going to get it done for you. I felt like there was a little bit of hate behind that, that phrase, his MVP running buddy. Oh, Mr. Game. He's Mr. Game one. Typically, I mean, they got bare. <laughs> he had 41, but they got beat by double yeah, digits in game one. I know. I know. But yeah, I mean, he's 20 point. I mean, I mean, as as series have gone on, he has not gotten better. And that's no, not, not me slighting him. That is the truth. His you know, number. The, 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 the frustrating. I mean, we've hit on this a couple of times. The frustrating thing, if you're a Rockets fan, has to be the fact that like he's getting to the lane, like he's getting to the rim. He's, mm-hmm. he's just missing some easy layups and oh and by the way i don't think he got that good of a whistle um in games two and three and really for the most of the playoffs he hasn't for that matter either hasn't been quite what it was during the regular season which i guess is to be expected um, oh my good hey hold on know? a second uh, take a time out because i've got to go get some hankies real quick um <laughs> the, I, let me let me let me let me cry a couple oh tears for the foul hunter not getting foul or not getting all the calls <laughs> James Harden doesn't get the calls that he usually gets. I want to, I mean, seriously, I mean, I'm going to vomit. I can't believe I'm even I, like, what? He hasn't gotten a good whistle. This guy has like his whole career is based on the whistle. The guy, it's what he does. He's foul hunter. And he's not, uh, he's not, and he's not getting those calls. It's a pretty good nickname. Fall hunter. Foul hunter. <laughs> By it's the way, movie. I, movie. I, I I pulled yeah it is I pulled up the stats and in, in the regular season he scored rather he drew a foul on eleven point four percent of his drives to the rim and in the playoffs it's down to four point seven percent of his drives so wow. pretty significant difference um, from his drives from the regular season to the playoffs and I'm sure Rockets fans probably aren't happy about that I'm sure 11, the Rockets 11, themselves aren't 11, either but. Is eleven point four during the regular season? Oh wow! So I would have been yeah, I would have been way off on that. I I was yeah. guessing eighty to ninety percent. It feels like. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, of his he, drives, gets to, he, he gets, gets to the lane a lot. He gets to the bucket a ton. 
I feel like that Joker's at the foul line the entire game, every game I watch. Uh, but hey man, uh, whatever, he, whatever works. Hey, he wasn't the well. Whatever works. They got beat by forty-one. Um, <sighs> and that happened, Kevin. You can't take that I, away. I that I know it happened, but it was. But Forget it was a it. good game plan. Forget missed a it. lot of layups. Harden oh, didn't man. get any calls. <laughs> Forget it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last thing before we get out of here. Um, you did write about the uh, draft chatter and everything about being at the combine. I know you and Jonathan Charks are going to be covering a lot of this um, and uh, on Fridays. Child. Yeah, on uh, on draft class coming up this weekend. But... Um, was that your first time that you've been to the combine or you, had you been previously? Uh, fifth year, fourth fifth. year, actually at the combine. The first year I didn't have credentials, but four, four or five years, depending on how you want to put it. Four or five years. Obviously, the biggest names don't participate in some of this stuff, but I did watch um, as much as I could. They were broadcasting it on ESPN2, and it did seem like there were um, there were some guys that, clearly help themselves guys that really hurt themselves. Um, well, I don't want to say really hurt themselves. That might be a little step too far, but really help themselves is certainly true. Who did you feel like of the guys that participated got the most buzz? Because just from television, Twitter, etc., it seemed like the two biggest that I was gathering about were the kid from Maryland, and I don't want to screw up his name. Is it where? How do you it's say? It's Kevin Herter. Herter. Kevin Herter. Herter, and then, uh, and then of course, Divincenzo from yep. Villanova, right? Yep. Who was? I mean, he the the athletic stuff was off the charts with the forty two inch vertical. He's grabbing one arm rebounds in traffic and bombing threes. You know, playing in the Killing five it. on five there. Um, so he obviously helped himself a lot. And then Herter, but. But that's kind of what I'm just gathering from social media and from watching their broadcast, um, you know, with boots on the ground. What did you gather that was like who who was getting the most buzz from somebody that performed there? Certainly the two you mentioned, especially yeah. Kevin Herter. Um, yeah. But in a way, like it's weird because with with Herter and watching him at Maryland, you already knew he could stroke threes. Right. You already knew he could pass off the dribble. The difference was is like you're seeing him do that against some really good defensive players. Um, so that was encouraging for the, from a standpoint that he was so good that he sat out day two. There was no reason to play. He already proved himself. And then you also mentioned Dante DiVincenzo from Villanova. He was killing it out there, man. You know, diving around on the floor, playing super energetic defense. You know, he's hitting shots off the dribble, hitting spot up threes, making some passes, showing off his combo guard potential. The guy that really stood out to me the most was a guy that you know me, me, Charks, and Danny Chow all kind of liked heading into the combine um, was Josh Koji from Georgia mm-hmm. Tech. Um, he's a three and D wing, um, really plays hard on the defensive end of the floor. He's big, strong, capable of defending three or four positions. Hit spot up threes, and some one of his flaws, Chris, is that you know sometimes he he takes these annoying jumpers early in the clock sometimes, or or forces things, and you want him to be like just play his role, just be you. But the thing is, is to me, when I see that, it's like, man, maybe there's a little bit more to his game. If he develops his ball handling a little bit more, develops his jumper a little bit more off off the dribble as much as it is off the catch, maybe there's more to him than being a 3 and D player. Josh Okoji is really a guy to keep a guy on. He's 17th on my board. 
Well, and his measurement stuff was just off the charts. I mean, the yes. wingspan, the wingspan, the 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 athletic testing, everything was just super impressive for sure. Like he is, he's clearly got all the all the tools. You know, when you, when you're looking for stuff and you go, well, if you're talking a guy that size with the kind of wingspan that he's got and the kind of jumping ability that he's got, I mean, you ain't. If you could play basketball, I mean, and team that up with, you know, and I can't speak to the kid and what, what kind of personality he has, and you never know because that clearly. He, I'll tell you, he, he yeah. busts, he busts his ass. Yeah, perfect. He, he busts his ass. He's a real hard worker, Josh Akoji. Ever since high school, there, there's a there's a good good clip out there on YouTube that um Dean Damascus tweeted out earlier today. Dean on draft on Twitter, um, where sixteen uh, year old Josh Akoji is talking about how he wakes up at four thirty in the morning to get to the gym at five for five thirty workouts um, oh, during wow. his summers. I mean, he's, he's worked his ass off for years now and that's not going to stop. Yeah. Give me that guy. Um, yeah, for sure. Sign me up. Uh, we have one other thing I, I did want to ask you because uh, I want to get one other thought. You're, you're there and you're watching it all. And so like somebody like a Koji, it's like, wow, he's clearly, I, I, I maybe I, I like the guy, but maybe I had him a little undervalued. How about the opposite? And I know this isn't the easiest thing to do, but you are doing this and analyzing the draft leading up. Was there somebody that you softened on or somebody that you are going to completely abandon after what took place? I'm not going to abandon him, but I'm, I've certainly softened on Shake Milton. He's a, a guard from SMU. Yeah. Shake came into the game on Thursday and he, and he blocked um, someone on the other team, like almost, almost certainly, like right after che- checking into the game. And it was like, oh, great. Shake's in the game, bringing the energy. And then after that, it was a whole bunch of nothing. He shot 0 for 6 from the field over both games that he appeared in, really inconsistent on the defensive end of the floor. And that's been a problem for him really his entire career at SMU where he you see the potential with him being a lockdown two-way guard who can you know facilitate a little bit who can hit spot up threes for you just a really good role player and maybe he can still be that but he didn't bring it he just didn't bring it and he didn't look really that impactful um in either of the scrimmages that he appeared in and he's gonna have to i think help himself in workouts uh moving forward because he definitely hurt himself in the scrimmages one last thing um this draft could be really impacted by possible trades and so it seems as if over the course of the last couple of weeks, and this is what happens when a lot of executives are around each other, as are a lot of media members, that everybody just starts kind of talking. And then it becomes underground chatter about stuff that then becomes not necessarily reports, but rumors that it's like it's what people are talking about type of stuff. Right. And so that hit with towns at the end of last week. And I know Brian Windhorse and Zach Lowe uh, kind of brought that to the forefront um, about Towns being upset. And then you saw some of the players interacting on Twitter surrounding that particular statement that him and him and Minnesota were sideways. Obviously, the Kawhi stuff has been hanging out there for a long time now. But in terms of being there and talking to people all the time, do you think that do you think that big player movement could involve the this particular draft? Um and who was it was was towns on the forefront of what people were talking about in terms of like players already in the league and and controversy uh not not really with nope. towns I, I don't re- i don't recall having a conversation um 
really that that those two days with anybody about towns um it, it kind of came after after that conversation between zach and brian where that kind of just started stirring the pot where people started talking about it more because the thing is, is it's true right we yeah. talked about this back in december the chemistry issues with minnesota that that that's not hasn't necessarily gone away jimmy butler just a couple weeks ago mentioned how his young teammates need it need to they don't get what it takes right they don't understand what it takes to win in the nba and that's kind of a subtweet at probably Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, right? I mean, who else would it be? Um, so there's certainly something there. It's just a matter of how extreme of a concern is it? Would it be would it be something where Tibbs is gonna trade a 22 year old superstar center who only one year ago averaged 25 and 12? I think that would be insane. And the idea that some people have thrown out there about trading Towns for the number one pick, I don't see why Minnesota would do that because Minnesota is trying to continue making playoff pushes. I don't think there's a deal out there that makes sense for Carl Anthony Towns. And I can think of a couple things that Minnesota should do before trading Carl Anthony Towns. Hmm. Well, I um, moving Carl Anthony Towns would just be, I agree with you, absolute insanity. Uh, uh, oh, and by the way, like let's let's say – it's a thing where Towns just it just doesn't fit with the team, right? It just doesn't fit personality-wise. That might not say as much about Towns as about other guys in the locker room, perhaps, too. Maybe Towns is the guy that should be the keeper. You think? You think the one that, like, shoots, like, Steve Nash-esque percentages? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean... No, no kidding. Uh, with the with the numbers he was putting up from three point range even this past year, like no, come on, those guys he, don't come around. He is absolutely a stud. I mean his his second half of his sophomore season, they were mentioned earlier, the twenty five and twelve. I I think his second half was something like twenty eight and a half points and fourteen rebounds and like insane offensive efficiency. And the same, he was just unbelievable and like yeah you could say oh his defense isn't that good minnesota didn't win games with him and it's like yeah that's damn true like he needs to get a lot better at the little things he needs to get better at screening he needs to get better at at passing he needs to get better at defense i get it but that dude can put the ball in the hoop at a high clip and an efficient clip and he can rebound as well guys like him just I, don't come around i talked to you about this <laughs> listen regarding the nba draft this year you know when i said i just I, i'm not crazy about this nba draft and i was like there is no i didn't feel like there is a anthony davis and i or and i threw towns in that conversation right as like the yeah. no brainer this guy could like for real be a hall of famer and like i don't see that with this particular draft surely Somebody will more than likely emerge as a great player for for sure, but there was no mystery with him. That guy was gonna be a great player, right? You knew <laughs> you're, and so God bless if you moved off of him at this age. I mean, rue the day. You you just don't get chances to get guys yeah. like that. You better fix that quick. <laughs> you know, you, you, you know, the, it, it's funny because like with Aiton, right? I, I don't rank him as highly as Towns either. I mean, I know I, I like him a lot more than you. We've argued about this before, but with Aiton, I, I still think Towns came in as a player that you expected him to be a really good defender because he was pretty good at Kentucky on the defensive end of the floor. Um, it's just, it's almost like he just hasn't gotten better from what he was. Um, so with Aiton, it'll be interesting. He, he's knocked, you know, almost maybe too much for his defense, his poor defense in college. Um, but I think there's a lot of room for him to grow on that end of the floor um, where he, he already has significant offensive talent. It's going to, it's going to be interesting to see, but you're right, Chris. Um, not a lot of guys like Carl Anthony Towns. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd I'd work that one out real Popovich style with Lamarcus Aldridge, right? Like I can't, I'm not. You will not get value for that guy. You just won't. What do you There's, What do you think about him liking the tweets? Like, so Devin Booker tweeted out that photo of Towns wearing the Suns jersey, which was taken back in December. It's an old picture, but right. then Towns liked the tweet, and then Zach Levine photo like edited the photo to make it look like a Bulls jersey, and Towns like that too. What What do you What's your take on that? Like, is that a is that a sign of some under underlying issue that perhaps Towns isn't happy himself? Yes, and I think it is um, intense immaturity. Yeah, exactly. I think that's. I think that's, mm-hmm. and I think that's probably the issue with the kid, mm-hmm. and that will change over time. You would hope, but it, well, I mean, you because you, listen, you know, your buddies are doing that, right? I mean, he's, you know, he's just it's it, it's goofy. I mean, that's the. That's the nicest way to term it, because I don't think he he does not come off to me as a malcontent or a malicious guy, but it certainly comes off goofy when your friends are saying, hey, man, I'm going to tweet, you know, they're, you know, they told him they're (laughs) going to tweet out that picture. He's like, yeah, do that. And like somehow thinks that that's funny. Like, yo, man, this is not a, this ain't a kid's game. Like you're a real adult with a real job. And like, just because you get some retweets, you know, that's not that. That's not funny, right? Yeah, there's, um, there's literally nothing to be gained. No, from, and you have to be, it, and, and it's also a, a colossal. Um, I mean, it's just a it's a lack of awareness, man. It's a lack of. I guarantee you, his agent called him immediately and was like, "What in the hell are you doing? Are you insane?" I mean, because it just there's no it's no win. <laughs> it's no win. You know, right? <laughs> I like, mean. What, I mean, like, I'm I'm not, this isn't, I'm not saying, just to clarify here, I'm not saying anything about whatever the agent's intentions are, but if I were his agent, may, maybe, maybe you are like, do it, do it, push, push your way out. <laughs> we got to get you out of it. Yeah. yeah, I'm just saying, like, may, you could also have that perspective, too. <laughs> maybe so. Maybe. We don't want you playing 36 minutes per game anymore at 22 years old. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, maybe you're right. Maybe his agent did say, "Hey, go go like Devin Booker's tweet." <laughs> we Real. we need you to have a long career. We don't need you flaming out like Joakim Noah. Yeah, right. Oy. Sorry, uh, I couldn't resist. <laughs> how dare you? Leave Joakim out of this. Yeah. Hey, he gave his life to Tom Thibodeau. Literally, I know. He went through the war, and that's look where he ended up. So don't, <laughs> hey, that guy went hard all the time. Don't blame him. His body failed him because he played uh, sixty minutes of forty-eight minute games for. <laughs> for did you six see? Years did you see Noah's beard? He has like a blonde beard now. Yes. Yeah. Maybe. Like, hopefully. Hopefully not. Like eight years from now, we don't see Carl Anthony Towns out in the wilderness with a, with a blonde beard. <laughs> <laughs> then, then we know something went wrong along the way. <laughs> I don't want to hear about you uh, scaling any fences, Kevin. <laughs> I'll, right. I'll let you know tomorrow night. Hopefully it goes better. <laughs> Need you uninjured for the next episode. Mm. All right. We'll talk to you uh, next I'll, Tuesday. I'll be safe. Talk to you, Chris. That was All fun. Right, thanks, man. All right. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes, and we will talk to you next week. Anything.